0: Good evening, you wonderful, wonderful geeky people. Welcome back to Geeking with Destination Venus. Reggie here again with another hour of geeky news, views and unrestrained excitement because it is Thought Bubble Week. If you are listening to this on Thursday, the 9th of November, which is the day that it drops, The festival itself is already in full string. There's a bunch of stuff going on in Leeds, there's stuff happening in other parts of Yorkshire as well. Go to www.thoughtbubblefestival.com for more information on that. And of course, this Saturday, Saturday the 11th and Sunday the 12th, doors will open at the Harrogate Convention Centre at 10am, and each day there will be. Just hundreds, literally hundreds of talented, dedicated, comic creating people, writers, artists, publishers, all there to share their passion and their joy. The PB&J, if you will, of comics with you. you. You can go. Anyone can go. Tickets are available on the door. If you didn't get your tickets in advance, what well, what were you not paying attention when I've been telling you for months now? But doesn't matter. I too am terrible at organising things. And so if you did not get your tickets in advance, it matters little. You can get your tickets on the door. And it is just the best. It is the absolute best. I was gonna go into a long spiel at this point, about all the people and all the things that will be there for you to see and enjoy. But actually, do you know what? I'm going to leave that for you to discover. I'm going to talk about it at length next week. But for now, I think I think quite a lot of the fun at this stage in the run-up to Thought Bubble is in the anticipation. That joke never gets old. I love that joke. Suffice to say, I am excited. Uh, There's a little gathering at the Everyman Cinema tomorrow, uh, tomorrow evening, tomorrow evening as you're listening to this, not as I record this, uh, but tomorrow evening, Friday the um, 10th, uh, to mark the opening of Rachel Smith's Nap Comics exhibition, which, um, as I record this, I will be talking to Rachel about later today, which is Tuesday. Um, oh, I honestly, past me, future me, we're all getting a little bit confused here as to what timeline we're in. Uh, that should be starting at six. I'd get there for sort of half past if I were you. There's also another event happening on Friday night at the Everyman, uh, run by Vice Press. Uh, and I still don't know what that is. Actually, I'm pretty sure they're showing, uh, Batman Returns. Uh, but I'll try and shoehorn that in at the end in the geek community notice board. Uh, Thank you for tolerating last week's very much on the fly edition. Uh, This week is on the fly again for much the same reason. Uh, The the reason that last week I was all at sixes and sevens uh, was put off, unfortunately, after I'd stayed up all night on Thursday. And yes, uh, somebody asked me whether I kept telling you how late it was as I I was recording last week to fill time. Or just to justify the reason it was so sloppy? Uh, and the answer is yes to both questions. I was doing both of those things. And it turns out I needn't have bothered because the thing that I was racing off to deal with was put back a week, which means I'm racing off to deal with it again. Yeah, I know, it's irritating, but there's nothing to be done. And very careful arrangements have been made to ensure that I will, in fact, be back. The Thought Bubble. So, you know... That's the important thing, I suppose. Uh, Big thanks, actually, to uh, Alice, who really does deserve a a proper shout-out for just leaping in as I'm all over the place and dealing with the shop so that I don't have to. If you find yourself in the shop at any particular time, please tell Alice that I said she was amazing. Thank you. But enough of that. Everything around me might be collapsing and crumbling into piles of, of annoyingly... Confusing and and inconvenient dust, but the world continues to revolve and stuff continues to happen. So, shall we check out what's going on in the news? This news really changes everything. Okay, and we're going to start with something rather general. This isn't well, this is related to a specific piece of news, but it's also expanding to something rather wider and more general. The specific piece of news is that um, we've been given cause to wonder what on earth the I in CIA stands for, because they did a thing a, couple, a week or so ago now that um, makes me think it can't possibly be intelligence. Okay, what they did. Was they, they they made what I'm going to I'm going to refer to it as a boo boo on their Twitter account. Sorry, X account, their X Twitter account, except it's the account countless. St- you know what I mean? OK, so. First of all, the CIA is on social media. Really? OK, but they did a thing. They put out a post uh, that basically saying if you have intelligence to submit to the CIA, you can do so anonymously and securely by clicking this link or clicking the link in the bio. And there was a link in the, the bio of the CIA to a secure telegram channel. So far, so what? But also, OK, I get this. L- like all intelligence agencies, the CIA likes to get intelligence from regular people and This is a way of reaching out. Okay, I sort of see that. But as I said, they did a boo boo because Twitter has a policy of not allowing incomplete or a particular kind of link in a bio. Uh, I, I think it's 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 the sort of tiny URL type things they don't like. Because of that, if you were to click the link on the CIA bio, To go to the secure telegram channel to submit your top secret intelligence, or at least the thing you thought the CIA should know about, to the CIA, you wouldn't go to the right telegram channel. You would, in fact, be sent by that link to a completely random telegram channel, which was at that point unclaimed, which meant that anybody in theory could have claimed that telegram channel. And all of the stuff that you were sending, you thought, to the CIA could have been going to anybody. Now, that matters because, clearly, that could have put the people submitting aforementioned intelligence tips at risk. Now, as it happens, they got away with it because a random member of the public, I suspect he's not that random, actually, but a civilian certainly spotted that this is what was happening he went in, claimed the channel so that nobody else could, and then alerted the CIA who dealt with the issue. Now, the CIA has tried to blame Twitter for this. They've said that it's because of a flaw in the way that Twitter operates. To which I say, uh uh-uh, uh, no. Actually, no. Not this time, pal. You can you can try and blame Twitter if you like. Heaven knows. I am not a fan of Twitter in its current iteration, but these rules are rules that random people on the Internet know about. These rules are rules that the CIA's social media people. And I can't believe that's a sentence I've just said. The the people who do the, the social media for the CIA should be aware of all of the terms of service and all of the rules that apply and all of the consequences for not following those rules. Kind of their job. They are the CIA. They are supposed to know pretty much everything. They should certainly have known this. So whilst, yes, because Twitter has that rule in place, this happened, the CIA should have been aware of that and been a good deal more careful. If they are this sloppy about this, it boggles the mind what else they're being sloppy about. I think what I'm saying is that if you have top secret intelligence that you would like to make a governmental intelligence agency aware of, social media may not be the way to do that. Now, this brings me on to something tangentially related. Twitter is, I think, the worst offender here, but it's not the only offender. And this is not a Twitter is terrible point. I mean, Twitter is terrible, but, you know. Not solely, at least, because of this, um, it will have come to the attention of most people that there is currently a war going on in the Middle East. Some people are choosing not to call it that, but calling it as I see it, uh, that quantity of weaponry being discharged in two directions qualifies as a war. Asymmetric it may be, but war it definitely is. The number of civilian casualties alike attest to that. Now that. In, in and of itself, is not something that is a, a matter for this show. Social media is a geeky thing, and the conflict in the Middle East and also the conflict in Ukraine have both actually been played out on social media. Sometimes deliberately, sometimes people who have committed heinous, heinous acts, and live streamed them for all to see, to make whatever point it is they want to make. Uh, sometimes they haven't been atrocities haven't been live streamed, but they've been filmed, videoed, and then posted to social media. Uh, the Russian forces in Ukraine are particularly uh, fond of doing that kind of thing. And of course, in Israel and Gaza and Ukraine, many people, civilians on the ground. Are carrying smartphones and can therefore video what is going on as they see it. All of and, and that bit I think I'm in favour of, because you know, that, that puts hundreds, if not thousands, if not tens of thousands, of cameras on the ground capable of showing the world what is happening. As Hamas attack Israel and Israel attacks uh, the Gaza Strip and Russia attacks Ukraine and Ukraine defends itself, Because the nature of war is that atrocities are committed by all sides. Uh, And I am not both sides in either of those conflicts. By the way, I'm I'm making a general observation that, you know, the people we consider the good guys, whoever they happen to be, are more than capable of committing their own atrocities. Uh, These things happen in war. And it's good that publicity is shone onto those things because we have to strive to be better than that. Yay, look at me being all liberal. Woo! Okay, now, but there's a problem here, and it's a serious one. As I say, Twitter is perhaps the worst offender for this, but the other social media companies, particularly meta, uh, are not doing particularly well on this either. And that, Is the spread of misinformation. Something that I've been meaning to drop into a news segment for a while, actually, Uh, but there's a couple of things that have happened recently that have made it all the more important. First of all, you need to treat everything that you see on social media with relation to any news event with caution. Even if we take it all at face value and we assume that the people who are Posting this stuff up originally are acting in good faith, they are not going to necessarily know exactly what is happening, exactly what the truth is, exactly what the facts are. Yeah, they may know that bombs are falling from the sky. They may have a very firm view on who is dropping those bombs. They may be wrong about that. It's really important to cut the people who are on the ground some slack if they make errors about, you know, where exactly these bombs are coming from, who exactly is attacking us. Because honestly, as you are under attack, I'm pretty sure you've got more important things to worry about, like, you know, not dying. And if you are under attack, you probably have a fairly firm view about who is responsible for that. But you may not be right. Even if we accept that everybody who posts video and other and pictures of stuff that's going on in Gaza and Israel and Ukraine, even if we accept that we can take everything at face value and everybody is posting in good faith, you've got to treat it with caution. You then have to accept that there will be people who, for a variety of reasons, are not in fact posting in good faith. They're trying to put a spin on what the people that they consider the bad guys are doing. And they're trying to make the people they consider to be the bad guys look bad. And they're trying to perhaps excuse things that the people that they consider to be the good guys have, in fact, done. This, again, is the nature of warfare. This happens in every conflict. But as conflicts become increasingly live streamable, it's something we've got to be aware of and got to be cautious about. Finally. There are the just straight up bad faith actors who are posting for clout, who are posting for attention and who have no particular interest in disseminating the truth and who perhaps are not even involved directly or indirectly in what is going on in the conflict zones. There are people who are posting straight up lies, straight up fakes. Uh, They're posting on social media, video of um, bombings that happened years ago and saying, you know, this is such and such a place right now. And there are people who are posting things that are not even video. People have been posting um, shots from video games from, you know, your Call of Duty type stuff and saying, you know, this is Ukraine right now or this is Gaza right now. And some people have shared that. And the outrage at whatever atrocity has been completely fabricated fuels rage and conflict and muddies the waters. I mean, for goodness sake, there are enough atrocities being committed in these places. We do not need to fabricate more. So. Exercise caution on social media, as I say, if you are still on Twitter, Twitter is probably the worst offender. But probably not by much if you are seeing stuff on Facebook or Instagram or threads, treat it with caution. If you're seeing stuff on Blue Sky, treat it with caution. Consider the source. Who is telling me this? Where did it come from? Who shared this? Do they have an agenda? It really matters. And there are a lot of bad actors with an awful lot of bot accounts who are trying to whip up. All kinds of negative sentiment and hatred and rage and anger and fear. And, you know, I personally, as a, as an editorial stance on this show, I think there's enough of that already. So please exercise caution. Here endeth the lecture. Was that the boring preachy part? I think that might have been the boring preachy part, but it's important. It is just Media Studies 101, but too few people actually do media studies now. So it's worth mentioning particularly because i have seen this happen okay this is definitely this is not a a theory that i've got this is stuff i have observed so treat everything with caution whether it supports the views you already have or challenges the views you already have treat it with caution now still on social media and still on twitter really and the the issue with bots this is something that elon musk has been saying since day one was a problem with Twitter. And, you know, I'm not going to say he was wrong. I disagree with the man on quite a lot of things. But are there lots of bots on Twitter? Oh, heck yes. He is trialing. I say he, Twitter, but that's basically him, I think. Twitter is trialing a way of eliminating bot accounts, which I both think will probably work at least to some degree, Uh, And which also makes me nervous as all heck. Uh, I I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that Musk was suggesting that he would be making Twitter a paid for service. And I expressed at that time my view that you would have to be crazy to give your bank details to Twitter. I still think that. However, I note that. In what is claimed, at least, to be an attempt to stamp on bot accounts. If you are opening a new Twitter account in New Zealand, and I think the Philippines, you will be required to pay a $1 annual subscription fee. The idea behind this is not to make lots of single dollars. I suspect there's a reasonable chance that this will cost almost as much to administrate as it brings in in individual dollars. A dollar is not a lot of money. And that, I think, is the point. It's not particularly a massive barrier to entry for most people. But it does verify that somebody setting up a new account is, in fact, a person and not, as might currently be the case, a bot. It's not foolproof. If you are prepared to pay $1 per bot account, you can still set up lots of bot accounts. But to create enough bot accounts at a dollar each, to have the kind of effect that some people at least think that bots are currently having on Twitter, well then, that's going to cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars. Now, I am not suggesting that there aren't bad actors who can probably afford that if they want to. But it does make it more difficult. And so it might have a fairly strong curbing effect on the number of bot accounts that can wreck their mischief on Twitter in the future. We will see how this pans out. Obviously, it's only in New Zealand and the Philippines at the moment. That's not because that's where the bot forms are. It's simply an area, I suspect it's an area of relatively low Twitter traffic where they can test this out and see if it works. Uh, And we'll see Uh, anything that makes any of the social media platforms slightly less risky. We've got to look into it, I think. So would I give Twitter a dollar a year? No, no, I wouldn't because I stand by what I said. I would not be giving any kind of banking or payment details to Twitter. I don't believe it's secure. I think most of the, the security staff who might have made it secure have been laid off at this point. So yeah, I don't trust it. Your mileage may vary. It's up to you. I I, I speak officially neither for nor against Twitter. So uh, it's it's one to watch. We'll see. It might make Twitter a better place. And with that, we will leave the social media's and look at a different bit of the news. Uh, Briefly into the whole politics of comics, given that it is Thought Bubble Week, IDW has been one of the bigger and more fun comics publishers of recent years, last 10-15 years or so. IDW has been based in San Diego, uh, which is a place that so does have some comics history. That's obviously where the SDCC is every year, the San Diego Comic-Con. But it's recently changed hands, and there was some talk, some serious talk. I mean, people who worked for IDW thought that this was happening, that their San Diego offices were being closed down, and the whole kit and caboodle was being transferred to Los Angeles. Now, many people thought that this was kind of a negative omen for things to come. Uh, it is alleged not by me, uh, but I hear people saying that the people who now run IDW are sort of quite right wing leaning and that their interest in IDW was essentially as an IP farm. Uh, in the way that Disney allegedly treats Marvel in, to be honest, that you know the comics would create stories and stuff at fairly low cost and then the reason for moving to LA is to turn this IP, generated by the comics, into movies and TV shows, and because that's where the money is. Now, as best as models go, uh, artistically, I don't like it, but financially, it actually makes kind of sense. There was some backlash to this, as there is to any kind of change. IDW have come back. Um, there's an article on Bleeding Cool uh, about this. I, I'm always wary about using Bleeding Cool as a, as a, a sole source for inf- information, but Stuff like this, the whole rumory stuff. Uh, Rich Johnston, who runs Bleeding Core, is astonishingly good at getting people to talk to him off the record. So when he says that sources say they're usually reliable sources, and uh, what IDW are saying is that no, 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 that's not what's happening. That's a that's a huge misunderstanding. Some people who work for us did get the wrong end of the stick, but we are not closing our San Diego offices. Uh, they're staying open. We are also going to be having some office presence in L.A. because, yes, of course, we have interest in pursuing film and television projects. But honestly, seriously, for the foreseeable future, staying in San Diego comic wise, that's our home. That's our heart. That's what we're doing. I don't know. Uh, We'll see what it does. I think I know most people listening to this have never heard of IDW until i just said it and don't really care where the people who publish comics are based but what it does i think and the reason i think it's interesting to people that aren't me at least is it shows us where media is going idw used to be kind of a a little concern you know it wasn't corporate and the, the the publishers that used to be you know quite small, quite agile, very indie, with quite an independent outlook, are increasingly through mostly financial pressures, becoming more and more beholden to what I will darkly refer to as corporate overlords. The big two are not immune from this. Uh, Marvel Comics, obviously owned by Disney, who are the granddaddy of corporate entertainment, Goliaths, DC Comics, has, you know, notoriously gone through a whole string of corporate overlords in the last few years. Uh, currently residing at um, Warner Brothers Discovery, which is honestly not going that well. One of the reasons for, I think. The, the, the poor performance and the poor conceptual construction of the DC movie universe over the last several years, I think has been not just the repeated changes in ownership, but the fact that the people who are in ownership don't understand or care about what DC actually is about and what comics fans and comic movie fans Actually, like, want, or think, which has made them very susceptible to social media campaigns, for example, and I think has had a seriously detrimental effect not only on the quality of the movies but on the quality of the comics as well. Uh, the recent uh, thing with Bill Willingham that I reported a couple of weeks ago, where you know he said in his press release that when he started working with DC 20 odd years ago, it was run by people of integrity and now those people had left which was yeah a fairly on the nose ding i think on the people who currently call the shots at dc so there's something going on that there, there is a seismic shift happening i think in comics is also i think mirrored in the way an awful lot of people who just want to make comics are going about their business uh, we're seeing a huge rise in crowdfunding platforms like the use of kickstarter and gofundme well not not gofundme for this actually but um backerkit is another one uh, that's used by a lot of people and indiegogo where writers and artists appeal to people who might want to read their stuff and say yeah if you pay up front this comic will happen if if and you know we don't need a publisher that's becoming an increasing thing self-publishing 20 years ago, self-publishing was a very niche thing, and it was people mostly with photocopiers in their back bedroom. People who self-publish are publishing work that is indistinguishable in quality from the big publishers. You know, the the quality of the paper is often better. The printing is professionally done. uh, And there's all kinds of reasons for this, but I think one of them is the continual knockbacks that innovative and and truly creative work gets from publishers who no longer are run by people who love comics and are run by people who don't even really understand what comics are doing and therefore look at what was successful last year and want more of that just to bring the news full circle that is why conventions like thought bubble are so important to the health of this medium because they're a place where people who make comics can get together and talk to each other and start their own collaborations and figure out how they're going to do it themselves without publishers. Conventions used to be a place where you would go hoping to meet a publisher. Now, they're places where you go hoping to meet just other people you can collaborate with. It's a huge shift in the way comics are done. And, you know, it's 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 been happening over the last decade or so. But the change, the pace of change is increasing and we'll see what effect that has on comics as a market and a medium as we go forward. And now we're beginning to wander out of the news and into more existential what's happening with comics stuff. And that would be my signal that we'd run out of news and it was time to move on. But as Columbo would say, just one more thing. You may be wondering just what's going on at the moment with the SAG after strike because I haven't mentioned it for a couple of weeks now uh, except to say that I'm still not talking about American TV or film because the actors are still on strike and we are union strong here. Uh, There has been a little bit of progress in that the studios had agreed that if they take a digital scan of an actor's likeness, then they will pay that actor for having done that scan. It it does kind of boggle my mind that that represents progress, but honestly, they were initially saying, we can scan you and that's fine. So that is progress. What they are also saying, however, is that having paid the actor for that scan if they use that actor's likeness in a computer-generated character, so let's say they scan, I don't know, pick a Hollywood star, Tom Cruise. Let's say they scan Tom Cruise and they pay him whatever you have to pay Tom Cruise to let you do that to him. If they then use that digital scan to have a computer-generated Tom Cruise star in their movies, Tom Cruise doesn't get paid for that. Now, if you're Tom Cruise, I'm fairly sure you can negotiate your way around that with whatever contract you sign. But they're saying this also for regular actors, and regular actors probably can't negotiate their way around around that on a personal contract level. So SAG has understandably said (laughs) no, because what that potentially could do is mean that every actor gets paid once, the day they turn up to the studio for their scam, and that then their career is over because a computer-generated AI-powered version of them would then act in movies. Now, that obviously is a worst-case scenario. It's a kind of dystopian future scenario. But... The fact that the, the, the studios don't want to rule that out suggests that that's what the studios are thinking. So SAG-AFTRA have basically said, yeah, no, we're not doing that. And so the strike continues. And I just want to really reiterate how angry I am that this strike is continuing. I hate the strike very much. It's stopping. The shows I want to see and the movies I want to see from getting made and all the people who aren't in the spotlight, the crew, the lighting guys, the camera guys, the cinematographers, the makeup people, the security people, the people who run the food trucks. None of these people are earning a living or getting paid either. And I am furious, therefore, on their behalf, that this strike continues. I am, however, careful to direct my ire at the right place. The actors have no choice here. They have to make this stand or acting as we know it is potentially at risk. This really is an existential threat. So. All my ire and all of your ire, too, should be very keenly and sharply focused on the studios who refuse to make a reasonable offer. They haven't done that yet. I'm pretty sure that as soon as they do, the strike's over. They could end this in 10 minutes. They didn't. They haven't. They probably won't. So watch this space. I'll keep you informed. Anyway, we're going to wrap the news there because I'm depressed now. This news really changes everything. And we will go to news about science. Now, Elon Musk has been in the news again. This isn't about Twitter. This isn't about SpaceX. This isn't even about that ridiculous Cybertruck. No, this is about Neuralink, a project that is. 100% science fiction gold, and at least 300% absolutely terrifying. The Neuralink Corporation is seeking a volunteer for clinical trials. Now, what that means is it's looking for an actual human person to volunteer to have a chunk of their skull removed to be fair, by a surgeon, they're just going to get some bloke called Dave to do it, but still, by a surgeon, so that a robot can insert a whole bunch of electrodes and super thin wires into their brains. When the robot is complete with all its work, the missing piece of skull will be replaced with a computer the size of an American quarter, that's about a 10 pence piece in real money, that will just sit there for years, years and years. And as it sits there, its job will be to analyze and log the brain activity of this volunteer and then send that information wirelessly. Again, to be fair, wirelessly. This guy isn't going to have to be trailed because it will be a guy. Um, isn't going to have to trail wires around behind them. You know, it will wirelessly send all of that brainwave information to a nearby laptop. Or, perhaps, if they're feeling particularly futuristic, a tablet. Neuralink is saying that they prefer an adult under the age of 40 who has four paralysed limbs. Such a patient would be likely then to have Neuralink implant their implanty thing into their premotor cortex, which is the bit of the brain that governs the hands, wrists, and forearms. The, the 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 aim here is to show that the device can be safely used to collect useful data from the appropriate bits of the brain, which will be a step towards being able to convert that person or a person's thoughts. Into commands that can be understood by a computer. Now, I can see the applications for this. Science fiction has been doing this for a long time. Uh, Barbara Gordon, my beloved Babs, has that kind of chip implanted in her spine, which allows her previously paralyzed legs to receive information from her brain so that she can walk and, you know, do karate kicks. In real world, we're not anywhere near that. And I'm not sure that Neuralink, which with the best will in the world, is best known for killing monkeys at this point. I'm not sure they're a company that I would trust to mess with my brain. Uh, I mean, this technology is coming there. Neuralink is by far from being on its own. I, I heard a story on the BBC this very week about a French company, a French surgeon at least, Uh, that has done the Babs thing. It's implanted um, a chip into the spine of uh, a gentleman with Parkinson's disease. He was previously unable to walk particularly far. I think he could walk a few yards. Um, Now he's got this chip. He goes for like five-mile hikes. So there is promise here. Um, Everybody else, though, is, is very circumspect about what can and cannot be done. Neuralink, I suspect because it's run by Elon Musk, is much more lavish with its optimistic forecasts. For about four years now, beginning with the first public demonstration of the Neuralink technology, Musk has been making it sound as if yeah, soon anyone will be able to go for like a, a quick outpatient surgery that might take, you know, half an hour or so, and come out as a cyborg, able to you know download knowledge the way Keanu Reeves learns Kung Fu in The Matrix, or upload their thoughts to the cloud or whatever. Back in 2019, Musk was saying that um, ultimately we will achieve symbiosis with artificial intelligence. He said then, back in 2019, that human trials could begin as early as 2020. Now, to be fair, they might have done if 2020 hadn't happened. Um, But equally, I don't think that was ever really realistic. And I don't think that's done Neuralink's credibility any good. I mean, Musk is famous, to be fair, to everyone who works for him. He's famous for his unrealistic timetables. Yeah, I mean, I think he, he said we'd be on Mars by 2024 at one point, which is, you know, again, clearly nonsense. So we will watch and see. What I can tell you is that I absolutely would not allow Neuralink within 100 yards of me, let alone allow them to implant a chip into my head. But of course, I am fit and healthy and hale and hearty. If I was paralysed, might I think it was a risk worth taking? Again, personally, not with Neuralink, because, well, Elon Musk. But actually, not so far fetched, is it? If I was that guy in France, and I wish I could find that BBC article to quote from, but I can't. Uh, Hopefully, I'll have more on that next week. But if I was suffering from a condition that made walking difficult to impossible, and there was a genuine chance that I might get my mobility back, yeah, I, I can see that I might put myself forward for such a trial. So again, we will watch this space and see just exactly what Neuralink really achieves. And just one other quick story in general science this week. Um, as the temperature rises around the world and the global population continues to climb, fresh water is going to be an issue. We, ha- we have no shortage of water on the planet. The problem is that most of it is salty and you can't drink salty water. Desalination plants use massive amounts of energy to remove the salt from the water and that is a problem in itself because that makes producing the water not just expensive but also ironically carbon intensive and if one of the causes of your shortage of water is climate change then you doing things that will exacerbate climate change to generate the water that you need because of climate change, well, you can see how that goes. So in steps, a Canadian company called Anika Technologies, which is constructing floating desalination systems powered entirely by the movement of the waves. So this is carbon free desalinated water. The system to oversimplify it massively, The system works by using the motion of the waves that they set these machines up on on buoys anchored to the seabed, passes the water through a membrane system that removes the salt to leave clean water. Uh, The whole thing is powered entirely by wave movement. Um... The buoys absorb energy from passing waves, convert that into mechanical pumping forces that draw in seawater and push around 25% of it through the desalination system. The fresh drinking water is then pumped from the buoy to land through pipelines, again, using power provided by the waves. 100% mechanically driven, no electricity, therefore no fossil fuels, no solar power, no nothing like that required. You do need waves of around a metre high. That's not hard to find. So these things aren't commercially available yet. Um, Anika hopes that it will start selling the commercially next year, but with about half the world's population living in a water-stressed environment, that's potentially going to be a huge game-changer. There's also a Dutch company uh, in the Netherlands uh, called Desolinator, I think is how you pronounce that, uh, which also uses renewable energy to power desalination, only this is using solar panels. Uh, The heat and electrical energy that are collected by the solar panels is used to power a thermal evaporation system. Any electricity that's not used immediately to do that is stored in batteries and excess heat is kept in a hot water tank. This means you've got an uninterrupted energy supply, meaning that desalination can continue through the night. This is also a system that's not releasing any brine back into the sea, making the sea saltier, which can affect marine life. Instead, it collects all the salt for commercial use—table salt, presumably—and you know, roads and stuff. Both approaches seem to me to be hugely promising here. Um, both could have a huge impact on, you know, anyone who is living in a water stressed environment, which, as I say, is about half the population of the globe. So, you know, yay science. And, you know, again, we'll keep an eye on this one and keep you informed if these things actually go into, you know, sort of proper industrial service. For now, though, I think we'll wrap science there. You know, I've missed that jingle. Not used that for ages. I really must make sure I do the science news more regularly. It's just... Everything seems to be Musk-related. And, uh, actually, hang on. Yeah, so is this. You see, I think one of the things that is becoming obvious is that Elon Musk is annoyingly ubiquitous. I've been accused by the old correspondent of being... Completely obsessed with Elon Musk, and I'm not sure that's true. I'm not sure that I am. It's just that every time I look at the news, he keeps cropping up in it. And SpaceX is back in the news this week, and of course, if SpaceX is back in the news, it's sort of he is too by unavoidable connection. Uh, but this is good news. I'm I'm moderately cautious about this. You will know that. SpaceX's Starship rocket has had a slightly troubled recent past. Uh, the most recent flight test involved quite a lot of debris being blasted from the Texas desert floor uh, into the sky where it land- landed on things. As a result of that, the American Federal Aviation Administration grounded the rocket. It is not currently allowed to fly, but they have been working over the last six months since that disastrous, semi-disastrous first flight test and are looking at getting a new test flight going. Uh, Now, Musk's team are claiming that pending regulatory approval, which is always the trick, isn't it? There could be a Starship launch as early as November the 13th. Now I'm recording this on November the 8th, and I don't believe a word of it. But yeah, we've already said on this very show that um, ridiculous timeframes are something of a Musk tradition. The initial flight was April the 20th, um, and it, a lot of a lot of observers thought it was a disaster because about four minutes into its flight. The ground controllers were forced to issue a self destruct command, which is to say they blew it up before it hit the ground because it started to tumble, which you don't really want in a rocket. Um, there is an issue, a serious issue actually, here, which has come out relatively recently. That the rocket didn't respond to the self destruct command straight away, which is very troubling. The whole point of a kill switch on a rocket is you can blow that thing up if it looks like it's going to hit something on the ground that really it doesn't need to be hitting. So if your kill switch doesn't work instantly, uh, that in itself is something that really ought to keep you grounded. And before you ask, yes, every rocket that NASA and as far as I know every other space agency launches has a kill switch, which will blow the rocket up if it looks like it's going in the wrong direction in a dangerous way. And yes, that does include the rockets that have people on them, and yes, there is a person at every crewed space flight that NASA launches, in a bunker, at the launch pad, whose job it is to blow the rocket up and kill the crew if it looks like the crew are going to crash into a populated area. That is how seriously this is taken by grown ups. Whether SpaceX count as grown ups in the space context at the moment, we shall see. It looks as though they, they got that kill switch issue sorted, however, and it looks as though the modifications to the launch mount, which you know was the thing that didn't protect anything last time, may have been sorted out now. Um, the FAA itself closed its investigation into the first Starship launch back in September, um, and they issued SpaceX with a list of 63 corrective measures that needed to be taken before it was allowed to fly again, before it, effectively before it would be re-licensed. Uh, that did include a redesign of the vehicle's hardware to prevent leaks and fires, uh, modification to the launch pad uh, to boost the launch pad resilience. Now, SpaceX has now made some of those changes, uh, including steel reinforcements beneath the launch mount and a new water deluge system to um, dampen down The power of the 33 Raptor engines that the Starship first stage Um, has—all well and good, and all brilliant. We will see how long it takes for Starship to get approval for a second proper flight. Uh, I've got my fingers crossed for them. There's an awful lot riding on Starship, figuratively at the moment, but literally in the not too distant future. If NASA's Artemis program and crewed missions to the Moon Are going to proceed from America. But if things are going as well as SpaceX's press releases say they are, then we can be cautiously optimistic. Are we going to see a launch in November? I would be very surprised. But we also need to recognize that SpaceX is not NASA. NASA keeps you very minutely informed of the status of all of its missions. SpaceX tends not to tell you what it's doing until it's done it and it's been a success. So we probably won't know until very shortly before the next launch. So who knows? Just because I can't see it coming doesn't mean it isn't. And I think while we're talking about space companies who don't really tell you anything until they've got something positive to say, we need to have a look at what is happening in China, not with the Chinese Communist Party space programme, but with An independent SpaceX rival called iSpace. Now, caveats always when we're dealing with the Chinese space programme. It is impossible to know how independent an independent company is when it's Chinese. The Chinese Communist Party has its fingers in literally everything. So you could say that iSpace isn't as independent as, say, SpaceX is although you could also look at SpaceX and point out that almost all of SpaceX's funding comes from the US government in one way or another so how independent actually is SpaceX in any case iSpace has recently uh, in the last week or so completed a hop test at the uh, Jaquan spaceport now this is basically a a rocket uh, an iSpace rocket uh, called the hyperbola 2 Uh, Which is fueled by a methane liquid oxygen mix. Uh, It's a reusable stage, uh, and they launched it to a height of 178 meters vertically, straight up. Um, It flew for 51 seconds, it performed a powered descent, and executed a perfect soft landing on its four landing legs. What is interesting to me about this rocket? is that it looks astonishingly like something SpaceX would have built. And one always tends to get cynical and sort of think, hmm, have we had some industrial espionage going on here? I'm not sure. It, it's entirely possible. that The Chinese are certainly not above that kind of thing. But equally, I suspect just like because the laws of physics are the laws of physics, I suspect almost anything you design to do this this sort of thing, to be a rocket that you can land vertically on its tail. There probably are a a finite number of engineering solutions to that problem. So is it shocking that all of these things should look the same? Not that shocking. Any more than it's not particularly shocking that a, a Boeing 737 and an Airbus A340 look very similar. In any event, it doesn't actually matter. What this demonstrates is that the Chinese have developed, fairly successfully by the looks of things, the same kind of reusable, returnable rocket technology that SpaceX has, which means that the Chinese will also be able to get payloads into space quickly, easily, and at relatively low cost. Looks to me as though the hyperbola sort of family of rockets that the Chinese are developing at iSpace is going to fill roughly the same niche as SpaceX's Falcon series. And, you know, that suggests that the Chinese have very much achieved the kind of technology that they need if they are going to be a serious player and an equal to the Americans in all aspects of space. And so to that end... NASA, if it really does want to be the first organisation with boots on the moon in the modern spaceflight era, probably needs to get a bit of a chivvy on with Artemis, is all I'd say about that. Somebody, I can't remember who it was, but about 10 years ago, I think it might have been Buzz Aldrin. It was certainly somebody sort of with close associations to NASA. But about 10 years ago, somebody said that the first person to walk on Mars was already alive and in grade school in China. At the time, that claim was dismissed as a. deeply unpatriotic, and b. extremely unlikely because, of course, the Chinese could never catch up to the Americans. Well, they appear to have, so. uh, watch this space, as they say. And with that, we will wrap up the space. Space space And with that, it is pretty much time to start wrapping up. Obviously, the Geek Community Notice Board is dominated by Thought Bubble. If you are on Twitter or Blue Sky or Instagram or Facebook or Threads or any of the social medias, do keep your eyes open over the next few days for pictures taken in the gents' lose at the Majestic because that's been a thing at Thought Bubble since Thought Bubble came to Harrogate. Well, i've never actually been in the lose at the majestic but um, they look spectacular from the photographs you anyway, know it's become such a thing now that um, by this time next year there'll be a comic about it so hey i would point you to the bar at the everyman from six ish on f- this friday the 10th of november uh, where rachel smith will be there uh, just available to talk to if you want to chat about her nap comics series which is on display uh, well, now, actually, because um, Rachel and her partner Rob put them up yesterday as I record this. Um, if you go into the bar in one of the corners of the bar, uh, there is a beautiful display of original artwork from Ra- Rachel Smith's Nap Comics series. Do go and have a look at that. All the original art is available to buy. Uh, instructions on how to do that will be on the wall of the Everyman uh, relatively soon. I haven't written it yet. So, you know, happening. And of course, Thought Bubble itself. The doors open at 10 a.m. on Saturday. There's always a queue, so either get there early or don't get there until about half 11 when the queue's gone down. Tickets available on the door if you don't have them already. Everything's running until 6 o'clock on Saturday and 5 o'clock on Sunday, I believe. And it's going to be amazing. You will find Destination Venus on table A24 in the Tree, I think is how you pronounce it, Hall. But you know, don't go looking for me. You can come and see me under the stairs at the Everyman anytime you like. We will be open on Saturday as normal, by the way. I, I really do encourage you to go and take a look and see what Thought Bubble has to offer. As a Cenobite might say, we have such sights to show you. So do get yourself down to Thought Bubble at the Convention Centre in Harrogate this weekend. That's the 11th and 12th of November. I am also just going to very quickly plug, we're running out of time, but I'm going to very quickly plug... Um, couple of weeks time not this weekend i think next weekend it is the geek pub quiz for november and they will be celebrating the 60th anniversary of doctor who so grab that doctor who nerd that you know because you know you do know one get yourself down to major tom's for that full details as ever on the geek pub quiz social medias and yes i will almost certainly be attending but don't worry although my knowledge of doctor who is both deep and obsessive my memory is shocking and therefore, I'm unlikely to remember the answers to anything in the actual moment. But I have got to go and get ready for Thought Bubble now. So we will leave that there. Also, we're kind of at the hour. So, you know, there's that. All that remains to do is tell you that Geeking with Destination Venus is a Venus Rising media production. You can always get in touch with us. In fact, please do, with any suggestions, questions, comments, queries or anything else you'd like to say, info at destinationvenus.co.uk. We will see you next week after Thought Bubble when hopefully I have had some sleep with a full review of the best weekend of the year. Until then, be kind to yourself, be kind to absolutely everybody else. Stay safe and above all else, stay geeky. See you next week.